This is part two of the Narco-Satanists, Adolfo Constanzo's Matamoros Human Sacrifice Cult. Part one is the episode right before this. If you haven't listened to it, please do. On April 30th, 1987, seven people of FM and Associates gathered in Calzada's living room, including Guillermo, his wife, mother, maid, bodyguard, business partner, and secretary. Adolfo prepared a ceremonial altar with a crate of eggs, several religious figures, candles, and two live chickens. Dressed in white, Adolfo began chanting and pointing at everyone in the ring around him. The only word they could understand was enemies. He swiftly produced a blade, and suddenly, two of his cult followers burst through the doors with machine guns. What happened next can only be pieced together by what police found the next day and in the coming days after that. After the secretary's husband reported her missing, police went to the FM and Associates building. Outside, a car had been burned and gutted entirely. A puddle of blood and egg yolk soaked the carpet inside the building, but no bodies were found. Seven people had vanished and so did an estimated $150,000 in cash and drugs. Five days later, bodies of two bound and mutilated victims washed up on a riverbank north of the city. The male's index finger had been sliced off with a $20 bill rolled up and stuck inside. He'd been beaten, stabbed, castrated, and his toes and ears were gone. The female's head had nearly been severed from her body, and her heart cut from her chest. The male and female were later identified as El Titi and Celia Campos de Klein, Calzada's bodyguard and secretary. Five more naked bodies washed up on the riverbank over the next week. Only one of these bodies was able to be identified. Calzada's 17-year-old maid, Gabriela Vargas. All the victims had been tortured and mutilated. One body was missing a piece of their spinal column, and two of them were missing brains. Although they couldn't be identified, police believed the remaining victims were Guillermo Calzada, his wife Rosalie, his partner Jose, and his mother, Guadalupe. This was Adolfo and his cult's first ritual human sacrifice, the brutal slaughter of seven people, and he would come to love it and embrace it entirely. Some of his followers were wary to the killings, but he reassured them by saying, human sacrifice is not murder. Their spirits have not died. They exist now to serve us, Think of it that way. Do it. Kill. And then your souls will truly be dead, like mine. And you will have no fear, no weakness left in you. Just power. Most of his followers were in awe of their godfather. To them, this was just further proof of his mystical strength and unrelenting power. 
and the only way they could continue to harness it is by following Adolfo's every wish and command. They believed it would bring them wealth, protection, and utter prosperity. Eventually, Adolfo and his close followers would make the move to Matamoros to link up with another drug trafficking family, the Hernandezes. This is where he would run into 22-year-old Sarah Viriel, a simple college student that would ultimately become second-in-command of the cult. Their followers would call her Godmother. Adolfo was persistent with her and introduced her to the world of black magic over time. Using a deck of Spanish cards, he predicted three events that would happen to Sarah over the coming weeks. You're going to get some money from your school for next semester. You're going to get a call from someone you haven't seen in many years. And someone you once dated is going to come to you with a problem in a few weeks. Within days, Sarah received a $400 per semester scholarship. The admissions office had applied for her, and there's no way Constanzo could have known. Two days later, an old childhood friend called her up, asking to meet. Sarah was taken aback by Adolfo's psychic abilities. She called him up and immediately asked for more. He had been trying to get Sarah to be one of his partners for over a week now. He said this was the last time he was going to ask her. She agreed. And that's when Adolfo finally told her the truth. He wasn't a lawyer or a federal agent, like he'd previously said. He's a witch. If Adolfo had laid this all out at first, Sarah probably would have been scared away. But because he had predicted her future, she was intrigued. Sarah wanted that power too, and soon she'd be slicing the heads off chickens at her own altar. In reality, Adolfo had been getting information from one of his loyal followers, Salvador, a police officer. Through Salvador, he also learned about Sarah's connection to one of the Hernandez family members, the younger brother of big Serafin Hernandez, Elio. This was the man she had once dated that would soon come to her with a problem. When this inevitably happened, Sarah was told to recruit him into Adolfo's cult. Adolfo knew that Elio was still in love with Sarah, and Elio's brother had just died. Their drug trafficking business had been in ruins ever since their oldest brother had died. Adolfo had perfectly calculated the timing, knowing that he would eventually see Sarah and confide in her about his struggles. His plans worked, and in March of 1988, both Sarah and Ilio were initiated into Adolfo's cult through bloody ceremonies. Ilio was desperate to get his trafficking business back off the ground. Like I said, their business had lost crucial connections for smuggling after the murder of their eldest brother. In a meeting, Ilio agreed to give Adolfo half of his business's entire profit. In return, his family would become wealthy, successful, and protected from federal drug agents. Over the course of the following month, Ilio's employees and some relatives were initiated into the cult by blood and candlelight, including the young man that would eventually bring their downfall through his confessions. A man that I've already mentioned, 
little Serafin Hernandez. Adolfo's followers were promised anything they most desired, but only if they were loyal and obeyed every command of their godfather Adolfo. And if he wasn't present, Sarah was in charge, their godmother. By the summer of that year, Constanzo had grown tired of conducting rituals in Sarah's cramped apartment. That's when Ilio introduced him to Santa Elena Ranch. There, they'd have their new temple and create a powerful nanga filled with animal and human remains, blood, and more. Adolfo had no mercy for cult followers that disobeyed him. That's why one of their own members would become an unfortunate victim. 35-year-old Jorge Gomez, a corrupt police officer. In November of 1988, when Adolfo learned he was using cocaine from the gang's own supply, it was settled. Cult members weren't allowed to use drugs, period, especially from their own supply. At this point, Constanzo was living in Mexico City again, only traveling to Matamoros in necessary times, such as this. He gathered his followers into the Santa Elena Ranch, who were unaware of what was about to take place. A cat and chicken were killed. Their blood then dripped into the iron cauldron. Adolfo told them, We have an enemy in our midst. One who has disobeyed, who has stolen from us, used our drugs, and laughed behind our backs. Jorge instantly took a step back, and Adolfo flew at him with a machete, striking him in his face. Jorge fell to the ground as Adolfo ordered the rest of the cult to beat, bludgeon, and stab him to death. This was the perfect ceremonial killing for Adolfo to strike fear in his followers. This made it clear that if anyone disobeyed him, they'd be brutally murdered, and the other members would gladly help. One of the cult's next victims and possibly the youngest, was 14-year-old Jose Luna. On February 25th, 1989, he was kidnapped as he walked along the highway near their ranch. As soon as the burlap sack was lifted off his head and Jose was revealed in their dark little temple, Adolfo decapitated him with a machete. The boy's head fell off and rolled to the feet of Elio Hernandez, and that's when he finally recognized the boy's jersey. Jose was his cousin. He began to cry, but Adolfo was unfazed. He cut the top of the boy's head and removed his brain, then placed it into the nanga. Constanzo reassured Elio that his sacrifice would make him stronger, and that his cousin's spirit would live on in their iron cauldron. Ilio then sliced open his cousin's chest and removed the heart and lungs, all while still sobbing. Jose's mother was carless. She had to trek 16 miles to the police station, sometimes walking, sometimes hitching a short ride. One officer simply told her, Your son's not lost. He crossed the river to find work in America. That's what happens. The police refused to look for her son. They got annoyed with her, even barring her from entering the police station. A month later, the cult would murder a drug dealer, 
and Mark Kilroy in a span of 12 hours. Kilroy wouldn't be the last. There would be two more. Their next sacrifice came two weeks later, on March 28, 1989. After Sarah had seen her ex Sosa again, the word got back to Adolfo. Easily, he decided Sosa would be their next victim. Sarah protested, but ultimately gave in to his demands and helped facilitate it. She invited Sosa to her apartment, who was met instead with a gun at his side and then forced into a car. He was driven to the ranch and dragged into the temple. He was beaten, stabbed, and mutilated, like all of the cult's helpless victims. Two days later, little Seraphin would drive through the federal drug agent's roadblock, thinking he was invisible and unstoppable. This would ultimately lead to the downfall and death of Adolfo Constanzo. That same night, the cult would sacrifice a man who had planned to kill one of their own members. Ten days after that, his body, along with 14 others, were unearthed at the Santa Elena Ranch. As soon as Adolfo heard the news, he, Sarah, and three other loyal cult followers fled to Mexico City. Both the U.S. and Mexico law enforcement converged on an international manhunt to find him. On April 27th, Adolfo, Sarah, and three of his followers were driven by a cult member, known as the Doctor, to their final hideout. It was rented out that day by Carla, a cult member who had initially refused to help Adolfo, but after he threatened her and her family, she obliged. She told the landlord her friends were good people and needed a place to stay immediately. $800 cash convinced the landlady to rent it out, despite not meeting her new tenants. Three days later, one member, Doobie, was sent out to buy groceries for the entire group. It was the first time any of them had left the apartment since arriving. At the store, he tried to pay with a U.S. $100 bill. The cashier refused to take it thinking it was counterfeit. Doobie had to walk to a nearby currency exchange and then return for the groceries afterwards. This obviously drew a lot of unwanted attention. Constanzo had told him to exchange the money before purchasing the food, but Doobie had forgotten. For that, Adolfo went into a rage, beating him until he wept and tossing around furniture. The colt was starting to get restless, huddled inside the tiny apartment especially Sarah. After begging Adolfo and writing him a love letter, he finally allowed her to go on a mission. The Colts' plan was to get plastic surgery, completely change their faces, so they could escape to Central America and start over. At the same time, Carla was lining up forged documents to set up their new identities. On May 2nd, Sarah took a cab to a phone booth near the surgeon's office. The doctor told her that he knew who she was, and he couldn't take the job, because it's too dangerous. He told her not to call again. Adolfo had been threatening to kill Sarah every day since they fled. He was paranoid and angry that little Seraphin and his other followers ratted him out. Now that she was finally out of the apartment, she started to see herself as a victim of the cult, an unwilling participant taken hostage. Now that it wasn't working in her favor, 
She didn't want to be the godmother. She wanted to be seen as a young college woman taken hostage. She couldn't directly give her identity away. This would surely lead to Constanzo cursing her. But what if a police officer just so happened to identify her? For several hours, Sarah went up to two different policemen and asked for directions she didn't need. She also made small purchases at restaurants and stores where other officers hung out. No one recognized her. She returned to another phone booth and called her parents' neighbor. She told him to pass it on to her parents that she was fine and that she loved them. She had been kidnapped and held against her will, but she'd find a way to escape. Next, Sarah called their apartment and told Adolfo the surgeon had turned them down. She knew he would be suspicious about her being out for so long, so she added a lie. I think I'm being followed, she said. Adolfo told her to lose whoever was following her and come back immediately. When she returned, he was furious. He told Sarah, The only reason I don't kill you now is because I wouldn't want the body stinking up the place, and I don't want to risk going out to get rid of it. Out of my sight. Carla was there and berated her too, accusing her of betraying the cult. Sarah was given tranquilizers and locked inside the bedroom. She took the opportunity of this privacy to scribble a note. It read, Please call the judicial police and tell them that in this building are those they are seeking. Give them the address, fourth floor. Tell them that a woman is being held hostage. I beg for this. Because what I want most is to talk, or they're going to kill the girl. A woman named Carla who lives in Echegari helped them. The last sentence was added for revenge against Carla for scolding her like Adolfo had. Four days later, on the 6th of May, she opened a bedroom window and waved to the two men down below, moving furniture. She threw the note down and quickly walked away. Authorities believed the note was an attempt at an alibi. To them, Sarah wasn't an innocent victim. She was the godmother of the cult and participated in many of the violent murders. Further, police believe she only threw the note because she saw an officer outside the building, and she knew that the time was coming. The note didn't fall into police hands until long after the group was caught. It had no role in their arrests. That morning, tips and witness descriptions led police to a supermarket nearby the cult's hideout. 19 Rio Sena. Two sets of plainclothes officers were dispatched to the location in unmarked cars. One detective saw an abandoned car and went to check it out. It was parked directly across the street from the Colt's apartment. Adolfo and Sarah looked out the window and saw the detective at the same time. Then they noticed the unmarked cars, which were easily identified as actually being undercover police cars because of the dark serial number etched on their doors. Adolfo quickly shoved his Uzi submachine gun out the window and fired at the officer. A bullet missed his heart by four inches. He crawled to cover as the other detectives crouched behind their vehicles. Constanzo's gun was easily spotted from the fourth-story window, but the officers were unmatched with their handguns. 
The chief of police pulled up to supervise the stakeout, unaware he'd driven into a gun battle until bullets riddled his car. He managed to slip out with his machine gun, but it jammed before he could fire a single bullet. Meanwhile, Adolfo was shifting between different windows and firing at anything in sight down below. He screamed, You'll all die. You bastards can't get me. I'll see you all in hell. He then dropped hundreds of dollars and gold coins out the window like confetti, while yelling, This is for you, poor animals. Take it. Some spectators rushed to grab the cash and coins, even some of the officers, despite demands to stay back. One of them was shot in the arm as Adolfo shot into the sparse crowd. An emergency signal was sent out over the radio, and police cars began to fill the streets one by one. Constanzo ordered one of his followers to burn the rest of their cash, $5,000. If he couldn't have it, no one could. Only two magazines remained. He announced to the group that there was no longer any hope. They had to use them to die. He told them, Remember our pact. We'll die now. But we'll be back. We will be born again. He ordered Omar to kill him and Martin together. Then the others, then himself. But Omar refused. He didn't want to die and he didn't want to kill his godfather. Adolfo reassured him, Omar, do as I tell you. We'll be together. I told you, I've been reincarnated three times already, and each time I move higher, I become more powerful. In the next life, I'll be even more powerful. So will you. Omar threw the gun down and crawled under the bed in fear. Martin said he would die with Constanzo, and kissed him on the cheek. Doobie was handed the machine gun and given the same orders as Omar. Kill Adolfo, his godfather. He didn't want to do it either. Quote, do it or I'll make things tough for you in hell, Adolfo told him. He led Martin and Doobie into a back room, and as they were standing in the closet, he yelled, Now, do it now. Doobie closed his eyes and unloaded the whole magazine into them both. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, godfather, the leader of the narco-Satanists, was dead at 26 years old, as was one of his lovers and close followers, Martin. Sarah feared that Doobie would come for her next, and quickly hid under the bed with Omar. However, Doobie just stuck the machine gun out the window and emptied the last magazine into the pavement below. No more bullets. At this point, Sarah no longer feared for her life. She rushed out of the apartment to police. She yelled, Don't shoot, please help me, and ran directly into the arms of the police chief. Thank God I'm saved. I've been through hell since they kidnapped me. I thought I'd never get away. I'm so glad you came. After she said this, she burst into tears. Doobie ran out a minute later, instantly being pistol-whipped to the face and arrested. Sarah told the chief that Omar was the only one alive, still inside, hiding under a bed. Adolfo and Martin had killed themselves. The chief thought Sarah and Doobie could have been a diversion, allowing Constanzo to slip away. Agents stormed into the apartment and pulled Omar out by his heels. In the second bedroom, lying in a closet, 
was the bodies of Adolfo and Martin. They were nearly unrecognizable due to their freshly dyed and cut hairstyles. They didn't look anything like the images that had been flashing on screens nationwide for weeks. Sarah, Omar, and Doobie were driven to the district office for questioning. At first, authorities actually believed that Sarah may have been a victim of the cult. But as the truth started to come out, she couldn't help but make herself the center of these brutal stories. She knew far too many disturbing details about the murders, all while claiming she had been forced into the cult and had nothing to do with the killings. The kidnapping didn't add up. She packed a bag and left her family's home, voluntarily. She described Adolfo's beliefs and rituals in detail. Quote, Before sacrificing these people, Adolfo would remain by himself in the room of the dead with them so he could have sex with them just before the sacrifice. It satisfied him. Sarah and Omar told police everything they wanted to know, but Doobie was still under Adolfo's spell. He was fearless and refused to confess. He told them, Constanzo will be back. He'll be born again. He'll come for us. And you. You see, I know I'm going to hell, but I also know he'll bring me back. You'll just burn. Doobie laughed, then declined to say anything else. After the shootout, Carla, her boyfriend, the doctor, and the corrupt officer Salvador were arrested as well. Ilio, Little Seraphin, and other members of the Hernandez drug ring were already in jail at this point, because police had unearthed over a dozen bodies at their ranch. They denied participating in the cult killings, blaming it all on Adolfo, also while claiming their confessions had been forced through police torture. Once the court proceedings were finished, for all of the narco-Satanists, guilty verdicts were handed back to all of them, varying in severity. Sarah Viriel, Omar Ochoa, and Duby Valdez were charged for the murder of Martin and Constanzo, as well as the 13 murders that occurred at Santa Elena Ranch. They also received charges for drug trafficking, criminal association, and cover-ups. Jorge Montes, the real estate agent and faithful follower of Adolfo, was charged with the murder of one of his roommates, Ramon Esquivel, known as La Claudia, when performing in drag. They'd been brutally murdered in Jorge's bathtub by the cult after they refused to leave the shared apartment in July of 1988. Omar and Juan Fragosa were charged for the murders as well. Four members of the Hernandez gang, Ilio, Serafin, David, and Sergio, were charged with 15 counts of murder narcotics, gun, and burial violations, and cover-up. Carla, her boyfriend Enrique, and the doctor, Maria Lopez, were charged for aiding the other cult members' hiding and withholding their knowledge of the murders. Domingo, the ranch's caretaker, was charged with cover-up as well. Salvador Alacon, the corrupt police officer and close follower of Adolfo, was given a simple charge cocaine possession, and sale, despite being a high-ranking member of the cult that participated in the murders. His connections allowed him to escape with what seemed like a slap on the wrist compared to the others. Old Seraphin, the brother of Elio and father of Little Seraphin, 
was sentenced to just 18 months for trafficking charges. He never wanted anything to do with the cult murders. No one ever faced any charges for the cruel murders of the Calzada family and their employees. The case is considered officially closed, though. Omar suffered a heart attack related to AIDS in February of 1990. He died in jail at just 24 years old. Sarah was given six years, then an additional 50 in a separate trial for murder charges. In 2000, Sarah announced the release of her new book, detailing her experience, framing herself as an innocent victim of the narco-Satanists. The true number of people that died at the hands of this cult is unknown. The altars had been destroyed, iron cauldrons removed, by the time police raided Adolfo's numerous properties. Apparently, at one point, he had tried to seduce young women, desperate for money, to give up their newborns for sacrifice. A member told them that the plans never moved forward, but some clues made police think otherwise. A pair of children's shoes was found at the ranch burial site, and two apartments, one belonging to Sarah, children's clothing and pictures had been found in their back rooms, the rooms where living things went to die against their will. Before the press arrived to take photos at the ranch, a small skull, possibly a child's, had been removed from the Nanga. The lead investigator denied its existence, but in Hume's book, he said witnesses were able to describe it in detail. The discovery of a mass grave looked bad enough on the Mexican federal agents. Many things were covered up to lessen the severity of the cult's killings. Pages ripped out of Adolfo's journal, concealing the identities of the high-ranking officials that had sought a dark ritual. We'll never know the full truth about the narco-Satanists, but the info we do have depicts a terrifying evil beyond comprehension. 30 miles from his Brownsville home, Mauricio Rodriguez stared in disbelief at the Santa Elena Ranch, at a one-room shack filled with candles and other reminders of the devil worship that ended the life of 21-year-old Mark Kilroy, one other unnamed U.S. citizen, and 10 Mexicans. Outside, a scorched cauldron still holds the remains of what authorities say is human brain matter, animal parts, and blood. So far, authorities have unearthed nine shallow graves, still filled, some of them, with human hair, skin, and body parts. They believe two more young victims remain buried here, that Mark Kilroy spent 12 hours on the ranch before dying. Authorities say that the devil worship and human sacrifice practiced here may be a brand of voodoo or black magic that comes from the Caribbean and Cuba, and that the Padrino, or godfather, is a Cuban still on the loose. From a balcony at federal police offices in Matamora, not far from where Kilroy disappeared, authorities paraded four suspects who admit to cult involvement. Two who say they helped abduct Mark Kilroy on March 14th as he celebrated spring break in Matamora. One bared his shoulder to reveal six ceremonial marks, one for each person he said he had killed. The suspects say that at one point Mark Kilroy almost escaped his fate at Santa Elena that he got away but was recaptured by this group of Satanists who believe that the souls of their dead would protect their drug smuggling. Thank you so much for listening and welcome to the outro where I talk about lighthearted true crime to lift the mood a little bit after what we just heard. 
Actor Ezra Miller was arrested at a Hawaii bar after allegedly becoming irate over karaoke. Ezra Miller appears in movies such as The Perks of Being a Wallflower, We Need to Talk About Kevin, I Love That Movie, It's a Horror Movie, Suicide Squad, and more. This article comes from Oxygen True Crime and is written by Gina Tron. It reads, the 29-year-old, known for starring as The Flash in the DC Justice League movies, was arrested after midnight on Monday. They noted that Miller, who goes by they-them pronouns, was arrested and charged for disorderly conduct and harassment regarding the incident at a bar. At 11.30 p.m., police responded to a report of a disorderly patron at a bar, according to police. They alleged that Miller became agitated while patrons at the bar began singing karaoke. Miller began yelling obscenities and at one point grabbed the microphone from a 23-year-old woman singing karaoke and later lunged at a 32-year-old man playing darts. The bar owner asked Miller to calm down several times to no avail. Miller's bail was set at $500 and they posted the bail and have been released. This is not the first time the actor has been accused of violence while traveling. In April of 2020, video circulated of Miller allegedly trying to choke a woman while in a bar in Iceland. Miller allegedly became irate after being approached by fans. The actor was escorted off the premises, but it does not appear that they faced any criminal charges for that incident. Also, if you want to support my podcast for absolutely free, please tap those five little stars on iTunes or Spotify. It really helps. And that is it. I hope you have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.